Would you take out your Bible, please, and turn to the 25th Psalm, Psalm 25, and if you'll make the effort to turn to Psalm 25, uh, that's where we're going to be spending the entirety of our time together uh, this evening, Psalm 25, the 25th Psalm. I want to thank those who've been uh, involved in the worship, uh, thank Daniel especially for those good songs and for taking a request from me, I appreciate that. Uh, and there's something that I'm going to be uh, adding to my prayers based on the good prayer that Jesse prayed. I'm going to be praying for spiritual sanity in our nation and among our people. Uh, what, a, what a great phrase for us to think about. Spiritual sanity is exactly what we need. Uh, and if you're visiting with us tonight, we're grateful for your presence, but also pre for the presence of all those who are here, both in person and online and I hope uh, the things that we study tonight will be beneficial to all of us. And it's going to be a study tonight. Um, some of the really incredible things in the biblical text come from places where you might not expect them to be, where you say to yourself, well, that's weird, or that doesn't make sense to me at first reading. Uh, and, and the lesson tonight was inspired by just such an occurrence for me. I was listening to a, a podcast uh, by Tommy Peeler on the Psalms. He's going through the Psalms one at a time. And this was uh, several months ago, in fact, when I first listened to the podcast on Psalm 25. And, and it was just kind of a throwaway line uh, that he had in this podcast. He said, Psalm 25 is an acrostic poem, but it is incomplete. Now, just as a reminder, an acrostic poem is the kind of poem where each line begins with the, the, letter, the letters of the Hebrew alphabet in order. And so, just like we think about our alphabet, it's like the first line begins with A, the second line begins with B, the third line begins with C, so on and so forth. And we have a number of acrostic po uh, psalms in our Bibles, the most famous of which is Psalm 119, uh, which actually has eight verses uh, and each, uh, for, for each letter, and each of those eight verses begin with that letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So this is not uh, an unusual thing in the book of Psalms especially, but it is unusual to have an acrostic poem that is, that is incomplete. And so I started looking into that, and I said to myself, that's weird. Why would it be incomplete, Especially when I think about God's Word and, and anything being missing or incomplete. I think about Psalm 119 and, and all of those verses that begin with all of those letters. David couldn't find you know, one word to begin each of these verses with the right letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And this is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So, so what's going on here? Why is this acrostic incomplete? So what I want to invite you to do is come on a journey with me through the weirdness and wonderfulness of Psalm 25. Uh, we were having some technical troubles today, this morning and again this evening with the PowerPoints. I thought I was going to have to get up here and preach without PowerPoint, and I was going to be really sad because uh, I worked really hard on this. Boom. Completing the incomplete message of David, right? Uh, now we all get to share in that together. But that's what it seems like. When we first read Psalm, 1, Psalm 25 and think about this acrostic being incomplete, we say, well, is his message incomplete? I don't believe that it is. And I believe that this, is, this incompleteness is intentional by David to get a message across to us. So let's read this psalm together, Psalm 25. And as we read, I want you to, to look in your Bible and listen with your ears for two things. 
Number one, I want you to listen for repeated words. Uh, he repeats himself or repeats the same word several times in this psalm uh, in a number of different instances. Often they're in groups of threes, sometimes they're in groups of fours, sometimes it's groups of twos with another word that's very, very similar. So listen for those repeated words. But the second thing that I want you to do that's going to come in handy for us, I want you to listen to when David changes from the second person addressed to God, you know, to you, O Lord, I'm saying these things, I'm addressing God, and then he switches to the third person and just talks about God. So he teaches us his way. So you hear that? So a change from, from the second person to the third person and then repeated words. Let's read together, beginning in verse 1 of Psalm 25, a psalm of David. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindnesses, for they are from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, He teaches sinners in the way. The humble He guides in justice, and the humble He teaches His way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep His covenant and His testimonies. For Your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall He teach in the way He chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity, and his descendants shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn yourself to me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look on my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I will put my trust in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all their troubles. We are blessed by this psalm, are we not, just in the first reading, um, in hearing the things that David says here. But let's dig a little bit deeper this evening. As we said, it's an acrostic poem, but at first glance it seems like it's, uh, it's an acrostic poem that's fraying on the edges. Um, it is not as nice and neat as it's supposed to be. Um, raise your hand if you're a really super organized person. Uh, organized people in here? Oh yeah, absolutely. My hand went back down for a reason. But for super organized people, like Stephanie, for instance, 
you, you notice things that are out of place, right? And so you love organization. You love seeing these things that are in just the right order. But when something is out of place, it, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Now, uh, maybe some people in here read Hebrew. I don't. I think most of us probably don't either. But I think what we would see if we did is that this looks like a super, super organized poem that is just has some things that are out of place. A letter is missing in the alphabet in the first half of the poem. Another letter is missing in the second half of the poem. And maybe that would be a nice little balance, but the problem is two letters are repeated in the second half of the poem as well. In verse 18, it says, Look on my affliction. Verse 19, Consider my enemies. That look and consider is actually the same word in Hebrew, so it begins with, the same letter twice in a row while also skipping another letter to replace it. The Hebrew letter in verse 16, turn yourself to me, the the Hebrew letter there is repeated in verse 22 with that word redeem. And this puts verse 11 and its letter in the exact middle of the poem where it shouldn't be. So that verse, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity for it is great. That is not supposed to be the the middle letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and yet in this poem it is. And verse 11 obviously is in the middle of these 22 verses. Uh, If you remember from any of my classes on the wisdom literature, the Psalms, Hebrew poetry, or maybe in your own study as well, it is often the very middle of a poem that is the main point. And I want you to just file that away in your mind for just a second. So verse 11 shouldn't be the middle, but it is. And the middle of the poem is often the main point in the poem, especially one that's arranged like this one where you have a lot of repeated words and concepts and phrases at the beginning of the poem that are then repeated at the end of the poem. But we can take this one step further. There is a clear pattern of of alternating between second-person address to God. Verses 1 through 7 are all addressing God in the second person, right? So, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. That changes in verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord. So now it's in third person and we're talking about the Lord. And then at the end it switches back in verses 16 through 22 to the second person. It's an address to God again. Turn yourself to me. So 1 through 7, 7 verses, 16 through 22, 7 verses. And then in the middle, we have 8 through 15. 8 verses that are, all, um, that are all in the third person talking about God, except for verse 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Randomly, he switches back uh, to the second person. And if, um, if we look at the content of those sections, verses 1 through 7 and verses 16 through 22, we have all of these repeated verses. The words ashamed, wait, trust, soul, enemies, mercy, and more are all repeated at the beginning and the end of this poem. And verses 8 through 15 all kind of go together. They're about fearing the Lord and being humble and keeping His covenant And the interesting thing is, verses 8 through 15 are all describing this person who is doing what God wants him to do, keeping God's covenant, listening to God, except for verse 11. 
For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. I'm not doing what, you're supposed to, what you've told me to do. And so, if we could just take verse 11 out, you know what we would have? Uh, we would have seven verses, seven more verses that all go together, and then seven more verses at the end that make a nice little sandwich. But that's not what we have. Verse 11 is still in there. Uh, it doesn't fit the pattern. It is an interjection in the very middle of the psalm. It's not the right letter to be in the middle. It's not in the right grammatical person. It's second person instead of third. And if we read it, it's really kind of out of place in verses 18 through 15. It's just not supposed to be there, at least as we would look at it. But may I suggest that this verse is not out of place. Instead, this verse is the point. This is what David is trying to get across in this psalm. Uh, I'm going to put this up on the board, and maybe this is a, a, just a visual help to us. I know you can't read all this. That's not my purpose. Uh, some faces went, ah, I can't see that. Uh, I know you can't see it, but I, I want you to see. We've got the first letter up here. These are the letters of the Hebrew alphabet right down the middle. Uh, Hebrew is read from right to left. English is read from left to right, so that's kind of helpful to us. Uh, you see these words in, in red here. Um, in English, it's not always the first word exactly uh, in our translation, but that, that is the word that is, what, what is the first word in Hebrew, if that makes sense. Um, and so we're able to trace through it, and we're able to see these words, and then we're able to see these words that are repeated. And then this chart is actually really helpful because it tells us these words are omitted and replaced, and then this last word is repeated right down here, at the end. You know something, uh, I, again, I don't know Hebrew, but if you take the first, this new middle word, and then this repeated word here, that isn't really the last letter in the Hebrew alphabet, it's just a re repetition from one that we see up, uh, up above. You put those three letters together in Hebrew, you know what they spell? They spell the Hebrew word for learn. Maybe at this point you're thinking, much learning has driven you mad, Reagan. But the psalmist seemingly, intentionally, rearranged all this to spell that word, and he intended for our eye and our ear and our thoughts to go to verse 11 because it sticks out like a sore thumb. So what is it that we are supposed to learn? Well, let's read verse 11 again. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Have you ever felt like this? David began this psalm talking about how he should not be ashamed, right? Verses 1 through 3, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously and without cause. God, don't let me be ashamed. Let those who deal treacherously, who don't follow your word, let them be ashamed. And then in verse 11 he says, Pardon my iniquity, for it is great. 
what is the reality of what David really feels? I don't think it's verses 1 and 2. I think it's verse 11. This reality rips open all of the orderliness, both of this psalm and also of the life of David. And we are not told specifically when in the life of David this psalm was written, but we can think of a number of instances, no doubt, where this man, who was a man after God's own heart, had opportunity to be ashamed of the things that he has done. And even when he is forgiven, no doubt there are times when he looks back on those things and he cries out to the Lord to forgive him and pardon him for what he has done. In recent years, I've become more and more aware about how many Christians are dealing with so much guilt and shame for past sins. For sins even that they've sought forgiveness for, that they've made right with others and with the Lord, and yet still they feel so ashamed. Who, though they should be forgiven by God, and maybe they even know intellectually that they are forgiven by God, are having a hard time moving on from their sin. I will admit um, that I didn't always know that or understand that, that I have a hard time empathizing with that and feeling that myself. Uh, And I know that about myself. Uh, And it's not because I haven't committed a bunch of sins. That's not the point. I feel shame. I feel guilty. But then I deal with it and I don't feel ashamed anymore. And yet there are so many Christians, maybe some of you here tonight, who are different. And even when you deal with the sin, you still feel so much shame. So let's let David empathize with you tonight and maybe instruct you on what you should do in that situation. The answer to being ashamed when we should be. And and let's not just gloss over the fact that that being ashamed is something that we should feel when when we have transgressed against God, when we've sinned against Him and others, and we have not made that right. That God put that shame into us when sin came into the world, and, and it serves a purpose in bringing us back to Him. But the answer to being ashamed and also getting past shame that shouldn't be there begins, as most things do, with God and who He is. Verse 11 again. Why is it that that David calls on God to forgive, to pardon his iniquity, for it is great? He says, for your name's sake, O Lord. Why is God pardoning? It is for His name's sake. The psalmist's ultimate appeal is to God's character, to who God is. And God's name represents both who He is and also the authority that He has. And so the psalmist is calling out to the Lord and for your name's sake, for who you are and the character that you have, but also because you have the authority to actually do this, to actually pardon my iniquity, I am crying out for your name's sake to pardon my iniquities despite how great, how many, how terrible they are. And so that is the psalmist's appeal. And if we are going to get to a point where we trust in the Lord and we are not ashamed, this is where it has to begin. And so what I want us to do is 
I want us to consider three things about God from this psalm. And those three things each demand something from us. And if we can see these things about God and then respond in the proper way, I think maybe we can reach a place where we don't have this shame that God does not want us to have after we are forgiven. So, the first thing that I want us to see is that God teaches and leads. This is the kind of God that He is. He has the authority to teach. He has the authority to lead. But it is showing His goodness that He is willing to do that. That He is willing to reveal His will to us and reveal what is best for us. Uh, A number of verses that we could read from this psalm. Notice verses 4 and 5. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Uh, God is the one who is teaching us. And He teaches us even when we are sinners. Verse 8, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore He teaches sinners in the way. The humble He guides in justice. The humble He teaches His way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep His covenant and His testimonies, to those who are taught by Him. And then if we drop down to verse 21, if we are taught by Him, let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. So God teaches us, and God leads us. That's who He is. So what should our response be? There's a number of ways that we might put this, and obviously there's going to be some overlap between these concepts. But may I apply this idea of waiting on the Lord in a slightly different way than what we normally do? I think sometimes we think about waiting on the Lord and we say, well, I'm going through a hard time in my life. There's a lot of difficulty and distress and, and um, sorrow and, and hardship that I'm going through right now, and I need to wait on the Lord. I need to wait on His deliverance. I need to wait on Him to, to bring about what needs to happen in this situation. And that's true, and sometimes that phrase is used in that way. But I think another way that we can apply this phrase is the idea of we are waiting on the Lord instead of, if you're not waiting on somebody, what are you doing? You're going on ahead of them, right? You're not waiting on them. You're not waiting for them to tell you what to do, not waiting for them to act. You're going ahead of them. Uh, when I was growing up, my, my grandmother kept... Uh, Myself and my sister and two other of the cousins who were all the same age, she, she kept us every summer. And my grandmother was the fastest walking person who has ever lived. I mean, it, it, she could have entered the Olympics in speed walking, I think. And her expectation for us as grandchildren were to, to keep up with her, to keep up with her. And you notice that this, this passage is not saying the Lord is waiting on us, although he does that. Our responsibility is to to wait on the Lord. We need to keep up with the Lord. But my grandmother also had this thing in mind. When she stopped, the expectation was the rest of us stopped too. Uh, We're not going on ahead of her either. And so she expected us to keep up with her, and she expected us not to go ahead of her. And so too when it comes to God and the things of God and the things that He teaches, the way that He leads, He expects us, Not to go ahead of Him, and He expects us not to lag behind Him. God is anxious to teach us, but we have to be the kind of people who can be taught 
the kind of people who are, to use the analogy of waiting on him, the kind of people who are in step with the Lord. And if we are in step with him, we will see that he, he wants to teach us and he wants to lead us. He is not there just to judge and condemn us. As so often we get into this cycle when it comes to the shame that we feel. God teaches and leads. So wait on Him and stay in step with Him. Secondly, we see in this psalm that God is trustworthy. Uh, It begins there in verse 1. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. What is being described there? I lift up my soul. Well, just one psalm earlier in Psalm 24 and verse 4 Uh, It gives us a good contrast with this idea. He who has clean hands and a pure heart may come to the Lord and stand in the holy place, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. And so this idea of lifting up your soul, that can apply to lifting up your soul to God. It can apply to lifting up your soul to an idol. When I lift up my soul to God, what I'm doing is I'm offering myself. And soul is representative of who I am. I'm, I'm offering up all that I am to the Lord. I'm giving myself over to Him. And there are so many New Testament passages that we could consider that, that discuss that idea. I am placing my life and my being in the Lord's hands. Another way of saying that is I'm trusting in God by giving myself over to Him. That's exactly what he says in verse 2. Oh my God, I trust in you. And the reason why we can trust in God is because He is trustworthy. Uh, If we go down to verse 15, my eyes are ever toward the Lord, for He shall pluck my feet out of the net. I'm supposed to wait on Him. That means go where He teaches, follow where He leads. Well, why should I do that? Because God is trustworthy to lead me in the right way, to teach me the right things. And that means sometimes that there are going to be dangers on the road, and God is the one who can pluck us out of those things. Uh, the, the images of a net that's going to entrap us. Uh, and, you know, we have all saw movies growing up maybe where somebody's walking along, and what happens? They step on something, and then the big net comes up and grabs them, Right? Well, that's kind of the image here, except God is the one who is taking your foot and getting it out of that net before it has opportunity to do that. Uh, We drop down to verse 18. Look on my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. Keep my soul and deliver me. He says, I lift up my soul to you. Now what does he say? I've given it to you. Keep it. You're the one who can hang on to it and make it right. Deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. Uh, This is maybe the, the easiest one for us to say, what should we do? If God is trustworthy, what should we do? We should trust Him. We should trust Him that He knows best. We should trust Him that when He says we're forgiven, we're forgiven. We should trust Him that He has the authority and the right by His namesake to forgive us and then to lead us down the right path. Uh, One of my favorite 
ways of expressing this is what we see in verses 6 and 7 of this psalm. Remember, O Lord. Did you hear that word repeated three times in these two verses? Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness' sake, O Lord. We are having to trust God that He remembers and He forgets the right things because of who He is. That He remembers that He is a God of tender mercy and loving kindness. That when we seek forgiveness, He does forget the uh, sins of our youth and our transgressions. And yet at the same time, He remembers us. Sometimes I fear that we, we think that God only will remember us because of our sins. Oh yeah, Reagan, I know him. I know the things that he's done. When in actuality, it is just the opposite. He remembers us for his goodness' sake because he is good and upright. And though we are sinners, he has taught us his way. And he remembers us fondly as his children to protect us and to save us. And that's the last thing that I want us to think about from this psalm, that God forgives and God saves. Let's just read straight through verses 8 through 15. Good and upright is the Lord. Now he says, for your goodness sake, O Lord, the end of verse 7. And then he says, well, goodness sake, this is what God is. He is good. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. Because God is good and upright, he does this. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep His covenant and His testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity. This man shall. And his descendants shall inherit the earth. Well, that's just what Jesus said at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. The meek are going to inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear Him, and He will show them His covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for He shall pluck my feet out of the net. God forgives and saves. And we see that over and over and over in this psalm. But what is required of us? Well, we have to humble ourselves and we have to fear Him. We're sinners. But that's exactly who God wants to teach. We are those who have great iniquity. But that is exactly who God wants to pardon. If we are meek and lowly in heart, we can inherit the earth. If we are humble, He can guide us into justice. And He will teach us His way. If we fear the Lord, He can... Direct us and guide us in the way that He chooses. And ultimately, He is the one who will bless us. Waiting on the Lord, trusting in Him, and humbling ourselves to fear Him. This is the path. Do you not want to be ashamed anymore? Know this about God, and then do this in response. Express it in prayer to God, maybe as David does even in this psalm, and know that ultimately it is because of Him, 
not because of you, that you cannot be ashamed, that you should not be ashamed. If you're waiting for that moment where you live perfectly, and I've, I've earned my way where, where God, I deserve to not be ashamed, I, I think you're barking up the wrong tree. But if you come in humble submission and fear of God with total trust in Him, desiring to follow after Him, that is the one who can stand before Him unashamed. Uh, we're going to sing this song together, Unto the O Lord. And what it really is is Psalm 25. Uh, it is a number of verses from this psalm. And so I want us to sing those words with all of these thoughts uh, and ideas in mind. And, and as we sing, I, I want you to sing these words and really believe these words. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Oh my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. If you're here this evening and you're not yet a Christian and you have shame in your life for the sins that you've done, well, you should feel that shame because it, you've been separated from your God. But that shame can be dealt with if you will come to Jesus Christ. and He can forgive you of all iniquity. He can pardon you of your sin so that you can then follow after Him. And if you're already a Christian and you are you're struggling with being ashamed of things that you've done in the past, trust in the Lord. Follow after Him and know that He does forgive. And if we can help you, if we can pray for you, if we can pray with you, we invite you to come now while together we stand and while we sing. Unto the Lord. 